Hey Rick, would you like to coach more efficiently, be more athlete-centered, led by data, and get some awesome results? Oh, yes. All right, well then Coach Tools is the coaching platform for you. Coach Tools is a coaching platform with all the necessary coaching tools in one place, from planning sessions to caring about your people. It is an easy-to-use platform for coaches, head of coaches, managers, and directors with an athlete-centered approach. With efficient digital tools, you will save your time, improve the quality of your work, and enable you a way to succeed. Rick, why don't you go ahead and tell all the listeners all the benefits they'll get by signing up with Coach Tools? Well, first of all, you will be much more efficient with your practice planning because you can plan it within a couple of clicks. Then um, you can be proactive for your athlete overload with exertion follow-up. Um, what is also very, very beneficial, and that is actually my favorite part about Coach Tools, that you can build closer relationships and better trust with them and get and give feedback through an athlete-centered coaching approach. That's the hallmark of Coach Tools. Um, you understand much more better their moods, their expectations, their values and goals, because after every game, after every practice, they fill out the very, very simple questionnaire and communication is so, so easy. And you can set up cheats and you can set up all the goals and you can follow it up, you can follow it up very, very quick, easily. And then um, this is also very valuable benefit is you enhance the learning of your athletes. You can illustrate drills, content, uh, tactics with the drawing board and you can store it at all one place and you can access this all the time you can share it with your club you can share it with someone else with other coaches and then um, all the information are always available for athletes and the coaches just one click and it's very easy um, it's very easy designed on on top of this there are many many more valuable tools which you can explore when using coach tools yeah, so as Rick said, there's so much more that you can do with Coach Tools. And, and all of our listeners can get a 20% discount on their first year subscription. All you guys need to go is to go to www.coachtools.net. That's www.coachtools.net and click start free trial and just mention that we, we brought you there from the Coach of the podcast. All right. Let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Road podcast presented by Coach Tools. Today, we are joined by Rico Loyomecki. And with Rico, we dive into psychobiosocial states. And I think overall, that was a really, really uh, interesting episode as Rico was able to pro provide us a lot of new information. And I think also some of the things that, are, that we are able to implement in our coaching in the future. So that was really, really exciting. And uh, we also spoke a little bit at the beginning and in the middle and the, the end. So about uh, a study he did um, and the study was about um, self-regulation and high level ice hockey players and and preparation. I think we both had a look at the study and I think overall it was a really, really uh, interesting study. And what was so fascinating for me about the study and the paper itself that there was a lot of practical things you could take away. So overall, I think that um, very interesting study and very useful conversation with Rico from Uvascola. Yeah, really, really interesting guy, Rico. And, and you know, he spent some time in Australia and some time in Greece and um, now getting his, his PhD in Uvascola. It's, it's really interesting to, to learn from someone like him. And, you know, it, it, it was, uh, I will say, I, I felt a little bit underprepared for the, this episode. I, I don't think um, it was the best prepared episode that we've had. It was kind of short notice with Rico. Um, and he was willing to, to set it up in just a couple days. So first of all, shout out to him for doing that. Thank you to him. Um, but, you know, I, I just think that uh, the content of the episode and the learning from the episode was still really good. And the concept of psychobiosocial states is, is really interesting and I think really useful when you start to really look into it and really learn about it. Um, but I just don't think I was as prepared as I would have liked, but it's still a good episode and still, you know, um, a lot of things to take away and a lot of things to learn from Reiko. So let's not keep anybody here anymore and let's let the learning begin uh, in the conversation. So now we would like to welcome on Reiko Loyo Mekki. Reiko, thanks for taking the time and joining us today. Um, you are the founder of Mental Asset. Uh, you're working for Onnet Spot. Uh, we had 
uh, Laura and Deline on the show who was who is working for the same company and your lecturer at Uvascular. So we are very excited to talk with you a little bit about um, emotions today and uh, regulations of emotions in sport. But uh, first of all, how are you doing and how's everything going in Uvascular for you today? Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm I'm pretty good here. It's it's getting a nice nice weather outside and also it gets my mind a bit brighter. But yeah, thanks thanks for having me. And I think I was gonna also say that now I'm doing also my PhD at the Uvascular. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In addition we're... to it though, so yeah, you're a busy guy. That's good, though. Um, and, you know, we're excited to have you on. I think I'm not sure if Rick was in the session, but I, I first heard you speak when um, COVID first hit. You, you talked to both, I believe, both classes on Zoom and talked about your work with emotions and sport and things like that. So we're excited to dive into that with you today. Um, but we always start with just a, a little bit of background about our guests. So can you uh, can you just tell us a little bit about you know where you've been academically and kind of how you got to where you are and and why you sound like you're combining Finnish with Australian. Uh yeah. Well, I, I did my undergraduate studies in Australia in Griffith University, and that's probably why I might have a weird accent combining Aussie slang and Finnish rallying lips. <laughs> But yeah, I, I did my undergraduate both in psychological science and exercise science. Then uh, I went to Uvascular for masters uh, in sports psychology. It's, it was the European masters of sport and exercise psychology, the official name. Uh, and I did uh, half a year in Greece, which was part of that European cooperation between those specific universities and I've been doing some mental performance training I think five years now I already started when I was doing my masters and I've also done like three years of teaching at the University of Uvascular and the Open University and in on top of those and i've started my phd studies at uvascular university uh, yeah so i just have a quick or hopefully quick follow-up to that but we've had a, a lot of you know mental performance coaches performance psychology um or performance psychologists and things like that so um i just wanted to get your take on you know what is your role as a, a mental performance um coach or how how you would term yourself there and what is the or can you just speak a little bit about like why mental performance coach mm, it's more like a side project because i like to do all my mm, let's say research at the university highly applied and from there i just gained like a couple of customers who wanted to continue with the research. I, I basically did research on psychobiosocial states. So we just did the profile for the athletes and we, and then we try to figure out ways to get their performance state as optimal functional as possible. Um, I'm not probably trying to like teach the athletes a lot of new stuff we just try to figure out what has been working with them in the past and then just do more of those things and maybe those which had things that hasn't been that beneficial just get rid of them so shortly to explain my mental performance coaching philosophy it's, it's pretty much there i'm um, speaking about research uh, you mentioned that you really like to do it at the university and uh, you wrote a very useful paper uh, which is called self-regulation in high level ice hockey players an application of the must theory or short 
must theory, uh, or however you say it. Um, could you please, first of all, tell us the full name of it? And secondly, what is the must theory? And uh, are there any practical implementations of it? Uh, well, basically, it has kind of many names. Like my master's thesis was a bit different. Uh, the must theory was still in a development phase. And my, my master's thesis was basically just uh, self-regulation, uh, applying psychobiosocial states and multi-action plan into hockey. But now we uh, modified it a little bit to basically go over all the data. And now we used the research to basically increase the validity of the must theory and the new paper's names name is self-regulation high-level ice hockey players an application of must theory so i don't know yeah. i probably probably shouldn't say this but um how would i put it nicely the paper or the research wasn't that good in scientific manner like the results weren't that good and we we basically needed to go over all the qualitative data to get some interesting results and again what i mentioned earlier and i like to do research highly applied manner so usually the results results are not that scientifically sound but at least we got some really good outcome for those junior players and they were really happy about doing some mental performance coaching with them so that's really interesting from a, a research perspective and i, I want to get more into you know how you how you still get good results from you know maybe not the best scientific research but i want to start with just kind of the the Oh, intro to the study. So what was the idea behind the study and, and why, um, why did you choose to, to study, you know, the must theory and self-regulation with, with those high level hockey players? Well, I have a hockey background myself, so it was quite easy to get an access to hockey players, but also that's where my research interests lie, basically. And I, I want to do something what really matters there. That's kind of a cliche, but, you know, in my point of view, I know some difficulties, what you can have as a hockey player. And I, I think emotion regulation is one of them. Then, of course, my supervisor, Monse Ruiz, is an expert in that must theory and must theory is basically drawn from the eyes of model so a lot of research done about that in uvascular so she recommended that we could do something within that uh, theory or she was de developing that theory at the time so I, I read a little bit about it and I thought it was a good idea. Um, she wanted to do basically just a validation of the psychobiosocial state scale, but I kind of also wanted to give the athlete something. So we developed an intervention there. So we could see that, can we actually measure some progress within the psychobiosocial state scale? Um, it it worked out worked out pretty good, even though, <laughs> like I mentioned earlier, the results weren't uh, perfect, or they never perfect, but really good in terms of uh, publishing them. But still, we got some confirmation for the BBS scale. And we got some really good uh, comments from the 
interviews of the players. Yeah, speaking about the actually you said it was a inter intervention and um, it, uh, I read it was a 30 day inter intervention and in total you used um, two main tools. One of them was imagery uh, and the other one was slow paced breathing. And obviously there's a lot of literature meanwhile about slow paced breathing and mind mindfulness based acceptance therapy. Uh, so, but could you just describe shortly that uh, what slow, slow paced breathing is and how did you use it in your in your research with the athletes mm. or in the intervention the idea from the for the intervention i got from sulvain laporte who is a research at the cologne university yeah okay I think he's there now right now um i think i it was in greece where where i got where I heard about this, that you can basically use slow paced breathing for uh, improving your vagus nerve stimulation, which is supposed to be affecting your self-regulation and emotional regulation. And it has like uh, many benefits overall. And on top of that, you could use imagery because when you're in a relaxed state state uh, throughout the slow paced breathing you can benefit benefit from the imagery a bit more and train your focus and especially train your focus on the key elements of the performance you are doing so is it you take the slow paced breathing to get into the relaxed state and then you use the relaxed state to, to work on the imagery skills and the um kind of picturing those those key moments in the game kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah. basically like that okay. in in the study we we use those individualized uh core components of the performance so mm. they were individualized in a manner that every player had their own basically a smaller task within the whole performance which they wanted to really improve in and then they uh, determined or basically found out which were the key elements in that that little task within the performance and then they focused the imagery on that yeah so i i think something that we've we've touched on a couple times now but we haven't we haven't really defined yet is this idea of psychobiosocial states and that's kind of a new concept for for our show can you um can you walk us through what those are and and maybe define those a little bit and explain their their application to well your research but then just sport in general i guess yes well the basic idea is that uh strong from the isof theory and there also uh, can be probably stated that emotions are not descriptive enough for describing all the things you're feeling or you're experiencing during your performance or any task execution you're doing. Uh, especially like the psychological and physiological states are related or feelings are related and therefore we like to use this a bit more comprehensive measure which takes into account the social perspective the physical perspective and the uh, psychological perspective like for example in sports you probably quite a lot of times you hear someone say that they are sharp so what does that mean is that an emotion is that like a physical state it can be both so just that the athletes could explain their states what they're feeling during the sport uh, as accurately as they can and they can use all kind of kinds of words not just emotions probably the same same with the lazy you can say that 
someone's skating is lazy, but you can also say that someone is feeling a bit lazy. So just a word or an accurate word for science and research to use that it's not just a feeling or emotion, but more comprehensive state. Yeah, and then they're they're broken down into this idea of you know the the functional states, the functional psycho biosocial states, and then the non-functional, um, or the um, is it disruptive or dysfunctional? Yeah, sorry, um, psycho biosocial states. What are the are those individualized to each athlete? Are some athletes' functional states different than um, you know, if, if this is my functional state, it might be dysfunctional for someone else or how do those work? Yep. They are individualized, but the basic idea behind that is that not all positive emotions are what are commonly thought as positive emotions are not necessarily functional in terms of performance. Like, and vice versa, like some negative emotions can be extremely functional in terms of performance. And it depends on an individual. Like, for example, if you use an anger, most of people consider that anger is a negative emotion. But for some athletes, that can be highly beneficial in terms of performance and therefore it's functional. So, yes, they're individualized. Of course, we can assume that some of the uh, psychobiosocial states are functional and some of them are dysfunctional, but they are individualized uh, within psychobiosocial state scale. Yeah, so then, you know, going into that a little bit more, like how how do we know for ourselves? And I, I'm not saying that, um, you know, as a, as a coach, I, I feel all the same, you know, psycho biosocial states as athletes. Maybe I do, I don't know, but you know, next year I'm going to be starting to play in a men's league team. Um, so if I'm an athlete in, in my recreational team, how do I know, you know, which psycho biosocial states are beneficial for me functional, but then, um, you know, which ones are dysfunctional for myself? Yeah, what we do in terms of must theory or must protocol nowadays is that we compare your previous best and your previous worst game. And from there, we can see that which feelings you were feeling or which psychobiosocial states you were experiencing in that your best game. And maybe what kind of dysfunctional states you were feeling or experiencing in your worst game. And then we try to compare those. So assumedly there's basically 10 functional states and 10 dysfunctional states. And again, assumedly you would see more of those functional states and less of those dysfunctional states in your best performance and vice versa in your in your worst performance less of those functional states and more of those dysfunctional states and then we can analyze and uh, show you this nice figure that is this right is this how how we're supposed to approach this do you agree with this um, what you have been just mentioning, like comparing your, for example, your um, probably the the best your best game versus your let's say your worst game. Um, how much does this relate to what you have been just speaking about? To like overall, like um, seeing and following this up to overall emotional control. Is there any is 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 are there any similarities or is this something totally different? What do you mean by that? That's how can we use this in terms of sports or 
Yeah, I mean, how does it relate to emotional control? Is, or is it, is it something totally else? Or is it the same? Or is it something different? Or is it even more useful? Or should we, uh, should we instead of just let our emotions be our emotions be instead of trying to control them in certain states and certain flow states? Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, well, my, my thoughts about that is that you cannot really stop any emotion or get rid of any emotions they are there but you can direct them into more functional way and if we have identified those functional states earlier and probably also talk about what produced those like what things did you do for example before your uh, performance before your game you can or you are more uh, or it's more possible to get on that kind of functional state again functional psycho psychobiosocial state and find those elements from there and of course we can um, find out some self-regulation techniques which might help you to direct those to the more functional way. Did, did that answer your question? Yes, it really makes sense. And I, especially the point like um, when you were mentioning that, I think that's also in what I wanted to get out of this, that you can't actually get rid of your emotions, but you can direct them in the right way if you know how to do it properly and based on uh, what you have been explaining previously. I think that's a very um, co competent answer and very useful as well. Yeah, and for for that, I I think the breathing is really good, mm. good way to actually analyze your emotions. Take just a couple deep breaths, and you probably understand your emotions. Is it functional or dysfunctional in terms of performance better? Yeah. So, then thinking about from the the coaching side, because we've heard before that um, you know coaches shouldn't have the the expectation to be you know, sports psychologists, mental coaches, or, or however, and, um, but, you know, they are the ones, especially, I think, in youth sports that that were, are working with the athletes the most in contact with the most and everything like that. So, so how do you view the, the coach's role in, you know, supporting the athletes and regulating their psychobiosocial states? And, you know, what are some of the things that coaches can do and can be expected to do to help their athletes? Well, I think the mental performance training should be adapted to their everyday life or an everyday training through, through the coaches. And therefore, it's quite important that the coaches are in the same team or believe in you as a sports psychologist. They think about the things in a similar way. And of, of course, they can do a lot of, lot of stuff. In, in terms of um, psychological skills training, uh, etc. But yeah, in terms of emotion regulation, I, I think coaches can lead by the example, lead by example, that they should probably first know <laughs> their own emotions how they how they react on different things how they behave do they show their emotions and maybe, maybe even do the psychobiosocial states of course it's an easy tool for me to use to analyze emotions it's not never a bad thing but in that way they could probably learn more about themselves how they experience things when they are performing on their best i think in that way they can probably understand also that that the athletes are a bit different what kind of emotions what kind of things they need to have in a game so they perform on their best and that's why I probably like to tell coaches that you should listen more than actually tell to your athletes. 
tell what's wrong, how you feel. Know how they athletes supposed to feel during the game so they would perform in an optimal level. So is it is it something that's as easy as like when you notice your athlete has, you know, one of the best games you've seen them play? Is it as easy as going up to them and, and just kind of, you know, ask them like, hey, what were you feeling today? You, you played really well. Um, what did you do before the game to, to kind of focus or however you did it? Um, or is it is it just a, is it more advanced than that? Or is it just is that kind of how we can start as coaches to help players identify you know, what What went well today that, that helped you play this way? Yeah, I don't think it's easy at all. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's really difficult to start understanding your athletes. But um, I think if you ask often, you start to get some sort of understanding. And maybe you notice some things what the athlete did differently. For example, for warm-up. Um, like, there's heaps of differences how you prepare for a game. Like, some, for example, from the hockey, hockey I know quite well, that some of the players, they need this time to just chat with their teammates, not actually do any kind of physical warm-up. But that's basically gets their head off from the game for a little while and gives them, like, a little cognitive break uh, on being really anxious about the game and stressing about it, really focusing on it. But some some players might might need that need that focus on on their cells and listening music, all that kind of stuff. There's heaps of differences. But maybe as a coach if you ask them like how did you feel in the game today? You also help them to understand how you're supposed to feel or how the athletes are supposed to feel during the performance. And then you can figure out together things how to get there, how to get you hyped up for every game like that. Um, that reminds me a little bit about, I don't, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with the optimal zone of functioning, right? Um, and I, maybe that's a very like, <laughs> the question sounds very easy, but I think it's also a very practical question. But and I, I at the same time it's it I, I can imagine that it depends on on the athlete but what are actually some some things we can do as coaches to help our athletes to get in their optimal zone of functioning before competition so what are things yeah what 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 kind of tools we can do or how how do we can help our athletes to actually to get in the optimal zone of functioning like some, do you have some any practical examples of what we can do to help them to identify and to help them to actually to get there consciously instead of just going to the locker room and saying that, um, hey, um, you need to be mentally ready for the game. Yeah, basically, we are talking about the exactly the same thing yeah, that this this must theory is drawn from the eyes of so the levels of optimal functioning. And like in ISOF, in this, this must theory, we also determine somehow what is that op optimal zone of functioning. So what kind of different factors each player has on there? Like someone is like really focused, someone is not, someone is really energetic. Another player can be totally relaxed to play on their best. And I'm, I'm not saying that you need to do this in a scientific manner as a coach, but figure out some things, some characteristics, some probably emotions, whatever it is, and how high is that? So not just saying that, I feel energetic today. That's a good start. But how energetic? Then you can compare different games that maybe I was too hyped. Maybe I need to relax a little bit. Or 
maybe I was like too focused. That can be a thing too. That you need to chill out a bit. To, for example, <laughs> to be able to be creative. But what I'm probably saying there is just like notice those differences. Yeah. Yeah. So can I ask you to, to, to maybe walk us through your work with some of your with your some of your clients and um you know obviously not getting into specifics about about who they are but you know what is this process like for you as a as a mental performance coach when you when you work with them what is that what does that beginning look like what are the first couple steps what do you um what are some of the first things you do when you take on you know someone new and you start to work with them uh, well, first of all, I, I just try to figure out if we are a good match to work together. So just to have a chat, but from until now, I haven't had any, any issues with that. I, I try to think myself fairly easy going, but after that, we, we try to figure out who that athlete really is or who that team really is. So go over the values, like the core values, what the athlete or the team has. Then usually we go over the goals, like what the athletes has said or the team has said. Uh, recently, I've only have had teams and athletes who have already set those goals. So we have just gone them over quickly to check if, if they're like quite okay in in terms of I I use this little version of a smart you probably know smart goals yeah yes uh, so a version of that where you determine like a long term and short term goals and then I usually go over this uh, psychobiosocial state scale, the whole must protocol. I, I check out what kind of emotion, what kind of performance related states, states they need to have to perform on their optimal level. Usually we find a couple of good things there that they, okay, these are the emotions, these are the psychobiosocial states we are aiming to. Then we look back what we actually, or after comparing the first, uh, worst and the best performances, we actually go over what happened there around that best performance. What happened before? What happened during the game? Which, what, what are those things that are helping you to experience those functional states? And usually we find some things there okay this was the thing i did in a warm-up and it felt really good okay do that more and then we probably find some things from the worst game okay yes i didn't eat a proper meal for hours before the before the event so start with those easy things and then then if we find some some issues that athletes may be anxious always before the game we oh God, that's probably not the best example when i when i just told that that can be also a functional state but if that anxiousness is not functional for the athlete we figure out probably some relaxation techniques or breathing techniques where we can decrease the level of anxiousness a little bit. But, and from there we can, we can use a lot of different tools from psychological skills training. Um, but yeah, most of, I'd say the most important thing is that, uh, get the athlete somehow mindful that he would start to analyzing his own or her own experiences and 
when they start to understand that there is a relationship between those uh, psychobiosocial states and performance and what things produce those different kind of psychobiosocial states, then we can start to direct them into a functional direction. Um, you were mentioning that maybe some of the athletes who would give some uh, breathing techniques, you would provide them with some breathing techniques or anxiety reduction techniques. And especially speaking about um, breathing techniques, and because this is such a big field, if you read the literature, because there are also a lot of different ways you can go. And uh, in terms of athlete performance, um, based on your experience and working with clients, what are some um, useful breathing techniques that you can actually use with your athletes if you are comfortable with uh, sharing this information? Yeah, of course. I, I took my examples or my ideas uh, straight from Laborde's okay. uh, work. And from there, to simplify it, if the exhale is longer than inhale, then you're activating your uh, parasympathetic nervous system. And then it's basically relaxing. So uh, in one paper, he used numbers that the inhale should be 4.5 seconds long and the exhale 5.5 seconds long. And we used the same in our study and it worked really well. So I've, I've been using that, those numbers. So, um, so technically, to con conclude that, uh, based on the answer you gave, that the exhale needs to be a bit longer than uh, the inhale, about for one second um, overall. Yep. Okay, that's that's it, interesting. It, I didn't know that before. But that's just like to activate your okay uh, parasympathetic nervous system. I remember when you gave us that lecture on Zoom, um, I was back in the US and I think it was like two or three in the morning and you made us do a breathing technique, like a relaxation breathing technique. And I think I almost passed out because it was so late in the night. But um, I, I do think they like they, they are very powerful and, and I've been trying to use them with a couple of my athletes this past season, um, just trying to get them to to calm down when you know, they're quite frustrated or, or anxious about their performance. And um, it seems to it seems to help. And I, I think it's something that, that takes practice, though, of course, for the athlete, like it's not going to work that that first time, maybe. Um, I, I wanted to ask because there's always these, um, I think, quite funny videos of, and especially in American football of coaches going around in the warm up and, you know, slapping their players shoulder pads and, and wrestling with their players and, um, and things like that. And of course, I, I I would like to think at the division one football level or the NFL, they, they have some idea of, you know, what their players need to, to perform optimally. And I think the, the general assumption around American football is you need to be a little bit angry to play that game. But, you know, what are the kind of considerations we need to take as coaches for, um, you know, maybe getting a player who needs to be a little bit angry to perform optimally? What are the considerations we need to take into you know, what is our role in getting them to that, to that uh, angry state, uh, if, if that question makes sense? Mm, yep. Do you ask in terms of breathing or just like overall considerations? Well, I guess like, I, I guess maybe more ethical considerations, I would say. Um, I don't know, like, because it seems it seems like something that would be very difficult for me to try to make someone angry. I don't think that's the kind of person I am, but I don't know. I want to hear it from, from your side of things. Um, and if you've ever been through that where you needed to kind of make a player angry before they perform. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably not the most ethical person to answer <laughs> that question. <laughs> because... I said do whatever to get them play better. Mm. But if I would like to justify that for, my, uh, for myself, I, I would probably analyze their performance. Like, 
again using using the eyes of model or or the psychobiosocial state scale that from there you could see that the anger is functional for the for that individual athlete or not and if it is i i, I would think that it's it's a good thing but I don't know what would be the ethical ways ways of doing that. Hyping up by probably hitting on them on the shoulder pads. I, I think that's, that's totally fine, but I don't know if you need to talk about their mother or something like that to get them angry. I, I probably wouldn't go there. Yeah, I, I've seen some bad examples, I think, of my in my time, which is why I bring that up. But there was a um, there was a video that went around in my, in my state, in the, in the hockey world, in my state, when I was coaching back in Colorado. And there was one coach who was just saying some of the most absurd things to 13 and 14 year olds to, to try to get them hyped up for this game. And, um, it ended up making like the national news and, and he was fired and everything because what he was saying was so awful. Um, so that's like, that's where I come from because, because you know, there are limits, I think, to, to how you can help your players reach these states. Um, and I had a, I had a coach that had a theory about me that, you know, if he, if he pissed me off to the point where I snapped, I would be unstoppable. Um, which I, I don't think is true. Um, because I don't do well when I'm angry, but, um, you know, I, I, that's why I'm asking because there's so many, um, I think especially in invasion sports and contact sports, there's a lot of coaches that just assume, you know, players need to be angry to, to perform well. Um, and they maybe step over some lines to, to get there sometimes. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of a, it's always been something that's like, it's bothering when me, sorry, now I'm ranting, but it's bothering me a little bit when coaches, when coaches don't, they just do instead of kind of, um, actually knowing and going through the psycho, psycho biosocial states and, um, and the, the must protocol and things like that. So I think that's what, um, is so interesting about that. And I, I'm, or so, um, not interesting, but controversial about that when you just assume and you go off. Um, I want to ask because I think motivational is, is one of the, the states as well, if I'm, if I'm correct. And, um, we, we've had a, an interesting debate in, in some of our circles uh, with some of our classmates about, you know, the, uh, the idea of like a pregame speech from a coach and a, like a, you get the example of the, the miracle speech, for example, is, is one of the most motivational speeches I can think of. But, um, you know, is that, is that again, the, the same thing where, um, some players maybe need some, some sort of motivational speech before the game, but then some players, it might actually be kind of detrimental to their performance? That's a good question. <laughs> I, I, I think most of the people benefit from <laughs> if the speak is that good, hmm. let's say, then of course there comes just like, a, we could call it a collective emotion of hype that if the other players of the team also get hyped, you are more uh, prone to get hyped too. But on the other hand, in terms of research, I, I think that can be dysfunctional for, for some of the players too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think, I, I think that makes sense. Like it, it, it's with everything. It's so individual. Um, we, we're kind of on the end of our time here coming up, but I, I have one more question because at the beginning you mentioned, um, or actually I guess maybe two, two questions. Um, because at the beginning you mentioned that you have, you know, maybe not the best scientifically research, but you, you were able to get good, you know, meaningful results um, from that research. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and kind of what, um, like from a research perspective, 
specifically maybe changing the subject a little bit, but, you know, getting meaningful results from maybe not the necessarily the most um, scientific data kind of thing. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe shortly to describe it, it's that, uh, we, with, the with, the research, we were able to basically confirm the predictive validity of, of a psychobiosocial state scale and also the action components that but that was something that we already knew we we just found some more evidence for for that and we also found found some more evidence for that in finnish which is quite good but like in terms of the intervention we we didn't find any scientifically uh, significant data so from the data you can say that like during the breathing and doing the imagery you are able to self-regulate a bit more but we we couldn't find there's a statistical significance there uh, but on the other hand, as I also think that the numbers don't tell everything. Um, I did interviews with the players who I, who I worked with. And they, they explained that this helped them a lot. That after, after 30 days, it was way easier for them for example to relax after the games and if you think junior hockey you have games on probably friday saturday sunday if you can relax after the game that's a really big thing hmm. and maybe go sleep a bit earlier and again the hrv so the heart rate variability data showed that that that's also the case within numbers but it wasn't statistically significant um another thing what what they mentioned i i think i have the comments somewhere but most of them they say that like within the game they realized that some things are dysfunctional for their performance what they were doing and just by thinking of that and maybe um, thinking some functional option for that, they were able to improve their game. And we, we didn't have the exact measurement of the performance, just uh, self-evaluations, but also those were a bit better but yeah uh there's also the factor that the research went over a season and we had five measurement times or six the first one and then five actual games so all things can have happen in those games but something that was really interesting that you mentioned that it, the players already felt like after 30 days, they, they felt clear benefits. And just if you again, if you compare the mental training to physical training and on ice training, for example, just imagine because on ice training you do from the age of 10, for example, or earlier, some players that touch the ice the first time when they are four, five, six, and then physical training, you start very early as well. And just imagine doing this kind of training as well from an early age on how maybe relaxed the players potentially can be after a game and how beneficial it could be for their future pathway and uh, playing and in life in general. And something else that was, to me at least, uh, very interesting uh, that, you have, that you mentioned at the beginning, um, because you said that you don't try to actually figure out to teach the athletes new stuff. You actually, they have been already 
things uh, that you just try to reuse. Um, and that, that reminds me that of that you don't actually always need to redefine the wheel. But in terms of uh, mental performance on your 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 specific area, uh, what do you think that uh, are like? Because it's a very it's still a very broad area. For example, if you take books about sport and exercise psychology, there's ex a lot of literature and a lot of explanations. And but based on your experience, what are like in this field? Just overall, some very very simple things that you could apply easily into your daily coaching consistently without being an expert the best expert in this area mm, i i think those breathing and relaxation sessions are really good for example if, if you just do those they um also in research they have shown to have a lot of benefits um what else you can do is that setting goals for your team, for your athletes, always a good thing. But maybe maybe read a little bit about that. That what what are those actually goals that work? But there's a different theories about that. But that you get some idea from the research. Um, what other things I could recommend? Maybe get in touch with the sports psychologist or or some some mental performance trainer. That maybe you can work together to figure out things that you could take into your everyday coaching. Because I think that's the most efficient way for mental performance coaching. Yeah. Well. I think, you know, we normally ask a, a, a final question of, you know, what kind of tips or, or final things do you have to say to, to coaches out there? But I think that was uh, um, pretty much the same answer there. So um, I think we'll, we'll skip the final question there and we'll just go with that. So um, Rico, thank you very much for, for joining the Coaches Road podcast today. We really appreciate your time. And, you know, we wish you all the best in the, in the future. And you're a PhD student now, so good luck with that. And um, and completing that process and um, yeah enjoy your summer coming up and and all the best thank you thank you guys for having me it was a pleasure all right so thanks one more time to Reiko for joining the coaches road podcast presented by coach tools um, I think you know, for me, I want to start in this outro with, with something we talked on uh, early on in the episode when he was defining this idea of psychobiosocial states and the difference between the, the functional states and the dysfunctional states and, and how they're often, you know, seen as positive states and negative states where really that, that idea is, is separate, you know, uh, uh, because functional and dysfunctional states are individual to the athletes, it's really tough to be able to put a label of positive on one and negative on the other because you know he used the example of anger anger may be a negative state for one athlete but a positive state for another athlete if that anger kind of drives them to to perform optimally um so i i think that was really interesting to me and i, I think from like a, if you take a step back and look at everything you know it's like um there's a lot of things out there that we might be like quick to jump to conclusions on whether it's positive or negative but I think it's more important to see like how does that impact how the athlete is playing? How does that impact? You know, are they are they angry to the point where they're playing dangerous? Then it might be a negative state for that athlete, um, or a dysfunctional state for that athlete. I'm sorry, I just <laughs> I did the same thing I'm talking about. But um, you know, like or are they angry to the point where it makes them work a little bit harder, battle a little bit harder from the corners, um, a little bit harder to knock down and and things like that, like. So that's where it comes in functionally. So I think it's just it's just taking a step back and, and realizing like, okay, hey, don't be so quick to judge whether this is positive or negative, but look and see how it impacts how the athlete is playing and, and if they're playing better or if they're playing worse. I think the anger example is a really, really good one of actually understanding the meaning behind psychobiosocial states. And I think you also highlighted very well here right now that um, it's, 
it's so individual to each athlete. Um, maybe anger can be something positive for the, for the athlete. And I think that was a very, very good example of Rico here today. And something else I really, really liked, I was mentioning in the introduction, the paper, and Rico was saying it as well, that the research he did was not so good in the scientific data, but practically um, it was very useful and they got some useful uh, measurements. And I think also you kind of could feel it when you were reading um, the paper because I really enjoyed reading the paper um, as it was very, very practical and there were so many good examples. So I'm, in terms of the paper, I really recommend to have a look at it because um, if you're working with athletes, I think that you can definitely take something away from it. And something also like, for, especially because we're hockey coaches, some of the examples, they're very, they were also hockey specific. So I think it's a really, really good paper for, for hockey coaches as well. And something else I really, really liked during the conversation when I was asking Reiko a little bit about um, controlling emotions. And when he was highlighting that you can't really get rid of your emotions, but what you can do is actually you can direct them in the right way. So you have to, maybe you, you will get to the optimal um, zone of functioning or you will you will get in the right emotional state which could be for example again could be anger or it could be something else so that's that one was um, really really um, useful and I think a very very positive um, comment from Reco. Yeah I would agree and, and just that whole idea of psychobiosocial states is really interesting because it, it doesn't you know like adding in the piece of or adding in the pieces of social and, and and physical. Um, and I, I think, you know, one of the, one of the notes, um, or somewhere in, in the material we had, because we also had this presentation from a couple years ago that he gave the classes, you know, it, it says that psychology is, is equals physiology, meaning that, you know, you can't have a separation between the two, you know, and like physiological states also influence the psychological states and the social states inf influence the psychological and the physiological. And that's why I think taking a step back and looking at it from the three perspectives of psychobiosocial and um you know it, it's he explained it well like the difference between you know being lazy emotionally and being lazy physically you know maybe your body is just super tired because you you know you've this is your third game on the weekend or maybe you're lazy you know mentally more because you had a long day at school or um you know uh, you're just kind of a loaf that day and, and kind of that uh idea that you can be lazy two different ways but it has the same kind of impact on your game almost and um, I, I think that whole idea of, of you can't really stop those feelings, but how can you regulate them? How can you identify them when they're coming on? How can you say, okay, hey, this is what I need to do to get to my, my optimal performance and things like that. Um, I, I think that was what's really interesting from today's chat and from Rico's research overall. Yeah, and I think also from a practical perspective, I think here to add here, like something that is very, very useful that, um, that like just a, breathing exercises he was mentioning yeah. and also in the studies that was showing that after 30 days the um the athletes they already had um they showed like they they felt the benefits and also the study was conducted with high level players from the hockey players from the finnish league so it uh so again like if you start to do it very early with your players then i think um, it can be very very useful over a long term long term period and um something that i think that was if you have been listening between the lines, and I think it's something that was really, really a very, very useful information for like actually implementing breathing exercises and giving feedback to your athletes for breathing exercises that the exhale needs to be longer than uh, the inhale. I think it was about one second. And I think that is a very, very useful information and uh, very easy to implement without being any expert or anything. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think it's just that one second, right? Like, because yeah. there's that breathing technique of four seconds in, eight seconds yeah. out. So I think it's just the idea that it's relaxing when the exhale is longer. Mm. And and that's something you would never really think about until you were told that. And so I'm glad he, he brought that up today because we always talk about breathing techniques. But that's just a simple tool to have in your back pocket as a coach. Like, you know, you're in the middle of a game and a player is reacting like they've never reacted before. You can go up to them and say, hey, just four seconds in, five seconds out, relax a little bit, do it a couple times, in through the nose, out through the mouth, that kind of thing, and, and kind of help them relax right away. And, and just having that helpful tool is, is one example of, of some of the things that he provided in today's episode that were so useful. And 
I think for me, my my final piece um, that I'm I'm taking away is when I asked him about his process with just starting with a new client or a new athlete. You know, I, I really liked how he said, "I'm I'm just going to start with a chat." You know, I'm not going to have my only agenda for that chat is whether or not we're going to get along. Um, and it's not, you know, there's nothing beyond that. It's just having a casual chat, casual cup of coffee or something, however he does it. But it's not, you know, there's no agenda of trying to get to know what the athlete, you know, needs to do to better perform optimally or, or you know, things like that. It's just get to know the person, get to know, um, you know, how they are when they're just kind of in a, in a neutral environment kind of thing. And then from there, you you start to figure out who that athlete is, who that team is. And um, once you've established that connection, that's when you take that next step into figuring out who they are. And I I like how he figures out, you know, he starts that process of figuring out who they are by looking at the values and the goals that they have. Um, I think that's a, you know, we always talk about values as being kind of the uh, fundamental pieces of our our philosophies and things like that, the things that are never going to really change. Um... And, and I think that's a valuable way to get to know someone on a, on a, on a deep level is get to know like what's important to them and, and what, what do they not budge on kind of thing. Yeah, uh, I agree 100% and I have nothing else to add here. Just one more point I would like to mention is that I, I was really like at the beginning he was saying that he doesn't try to figure out to teach the athletes new things. He actually tries to use his already things that exist in it totally makes sense because um, as I said also during the episode like that really is literally the implementation of that you can't um, redefine the wheel and I think that's sometimes very very important to uh, remind us as coaches that for example that if you for example also think about the game or some physical exercises but especially about the game of hockey that at the end of the game the game is the game and we can't redefine the game and, and create game scenarios that don't exist so I think it's it's very important to actually um, help the athletes and the players with what actually is already out there and like really helping them to improve and to get better because at the end of the day that's the, the essence of teaching is that even though you have maybe taught already something to someone quite often that you that you that you want to do it again 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 and the thing is that for every player it's different that what also makes teaching i think very unique in a sense yeah and and for me it goes back to kind of the the strength based coaching and and teaching or coaching someone through their strengths and and um you know i, I think it's it's really in this context it's really important to to realize that you know trying to change whether or not someone uh, has to be a little bit angry to pr- perform optimally trying to take away that is probably very difficult and then maybe i don't know if it's fair to label it impossible but but why you know try to find an optimal zone of anger for them and and help them kind of realize how they get to that um get to that uh, stage sorry and 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 work with them through that and work with them through the strength and then the the dysfunctional uh, stages you know you can kind of get them out of those and, and away from those and more towards the optimal performance uh, the things that create that so I think that's a a really a really good approach to, to helping people in this context so um, I think that's a, a good place to wrap it up so thank you one more time to Rico for joining the, the Coaches Road podcast presented by Coach Tools um, pretty excited that next week is our 100th episode with, with Aku Niemenen and, and the DP19 class so um, thank you to, to Reiki, Reiki again, I'm, and now I'm all over the place, but, um, yeah, really excited about our, our 100 coming up next week. So we'll see everybody then. Uh, and until then have a good week and yeah, bye.